3: Also, you know, uh, uh, it's a, a, a very, very, very special day, um, uh, as I found out that uh, in 1979, in Arizona, um, roughly 200 men gathered, uh, it was the very first gathering of uh, radical fairies, and uh, today, uh, we have uh, five of those men um, here. Um, Some of them obviously could not be with with us, for obvious reasons. Um, uh, And I just want to take a moment to acknowledge them. Uh, Mark Thompson. Yay. (laughs) Alan Page. Alan, where are you? Right there. Okay. David Cohen. Where is David? Where is he? He's around somewhere. Um, uh, Michael David. Right. And Dennis Miles just arrived. Yay, thank you so very much for coming. We have a great, great lineup of people, and I'm going to get off the stage, but he's not here to see me. Um, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, the gentleman who'll be starting off the afternoon as well as carrying it through. Please welcome Mark Thompson.
4: Well. This is a really uh, joy, a pleasure, an honor, uh, a day I didn't think I'd ever see come. This is the third reading we've done for this book. Uh, we, our first launch was in March in the San Francisco Public Library. We had over 200 radical ferries show up. Last month we did a, another signing in Atlanta and we had over 60 radical ferries, uh, three generations now of radical fairies, And of course the radical ferry movement, having started on those dusty, I'm still getting the red dirt out, I don't know it was just <laughs> everywhere, um, has grown all over the world and there are now radical ferry sanctuaries Uh, on practically every continent. It's a very underground movement. So I'm the editor of this collection and I'm just going to read what I wrote for the back and then get right to our wonderful readers. And this is what I, I have to say about it all. The most valuable possession a people have is their story, their history. Many years in the making and with over 50 contributors from around the world, the fire and moonlight is the first anthology of its kind. Beginning with Walt Whitman and Edward Carpenter in the 19th century, and moving through the liberation movements of the late 20th, The Fire in Moonlight speculates far into the the 21st. It offers a timely compendium of culture, wisdom, provocative wit, and challenging sensuality. And I'm not kidding on that last bit. (laughs) The Fire in Moonlight gives witness to a groundbreaking movement that painstakingly emerged from the gay liberation era. Rooted in the history of radical visionaries, this little-known essential community informs the modern world with new meaning, offering fresh definitions of faith, identity, purpose, and gender. The Fire and Moonlight is a series of personal reflections on who the Radical Fairies are, where they've been, and where they are going, Radical Fairies in their own words. It's about how a movement has changed lives and how Radical Fairies contribute to healing a fractured earth. So thank you all very much for coming here. We have a few copies for sale, so if you want one, be sure to get one, and then have all the contributors, we love doing this, will sign where their chapters are, and you'll have a very unique collector's item. And to have five of us um, from the original gathering here today alive, when well over half of us who were at that gathering have died of AIDS, is a victory and an historic witness <laughs> mm. so here to give a little bit more witness is uh, someone who wrote the very first chapter of the book our dear friend Stuart Timmons who's one of our eminent historians in our community and as I think everyone here knows, suffered a catastrophic stroke three years ago, but um, he's here and wants to say a few words to you and then we're going to have Richard Neely, who's the associate editor of the book, read a short section from Stuart's chapter. Just
0: a moment. Hello, everyone. Thank you all for coming out today. And I hope you enjoyed this book. That is really all I have to say. Have a good time reading our history. Thank you.
5: I wish I could say these were my own words, but these are Stuart's <laughs> words. In the fairy circle, each man's story matched down to the subtlest details. The green meadows, the blue sky, and their very bodies seemed to glow as each shared early memories of feeling different. They had always been called sissies, but they always knew that they were somehow strong. And however many years that they had been out of the closet, succeeding in business, in organizing, or in the bars, they felt that until they found the fairies, something had been missing. A carved talisman was passed around the circle, and where it stopped, the group's undivided attention focused. A delicate black man wearing only a sparkling scarf and hiking boots took the talisman into the circle and while walking slowly addressed the ring of two hundred. We fairies need to stop saying my consciousness is better than your consciousness. That's heterosexist. No one person, no one group, no one ideology has the answer. You need a spirit. It was a search for such a spirit that had led them all there, including Harry Hay. A short time after he'd gone into retirement, he was out again and was part of the circle. In fact, he'd worked hard to call it into being. Privately, he regarded the radical fairies, as this new phenomenon of gay identity came to be known, to be a flowering of the Circle of Loving Companions, a joint quest for an adhesive gay comradeship. The radical fairies responded to the emptiness of both the straight establishment and assimilated gay society. Those who flocked to the fairy gatherings had found little distinction between the two, To them, both were oppressive, shallow, and mired in such macho value as male competitiveness and dominance. Don Kilhefner, who with Harry helped create the fairies, wrote that gay activism has given us a little breathing space from the stifling decades of oppression. It was the aim of the fairies to find out what could grow in that new atmosphere. The spirit seemed to flow through the circle. A heavy-set, gray-haired man wearing a floppy hat stepped into its midst and told of his career as a lawyer. I deal every day with people who fight with each other. And they're all he-men. Policemen who abuse power. Judges. And because I am a fairy, I feel great pain in that world. He struggled momentarily with his emotion, then continued, All of those people are he-men. I come to the fellow fairies because I need the love that I get here, and so many times in the gay world I do not get that. I get the same kind of alienation that I get in the world of He-Men. A young hardened street person from San Diego spoke. The long strand of bells stretched from his neck to his left sandal strap, tinkled in the still mountain air when he walked. He offered the circle of verse from Jean Genet, Fairies are a pale and motley race that flowers in the minds of decent folk. Never will they be entitled, broad daylight, to real sun. But remote in these limbos they cause curious disasters which are harbingers of new beauty. The crowd whooped and applauded. A voice called out, Right out, Madame Genet! (laughs) When the circle closed, the men came together, arm in arm, body to body, and a deep om began to sound, vibrating through the huddle of men, each more completely a living part of the circle. Male voices rose in humming harmony, and the sound gained momentum like dozens of fingers on wine glasses. As they dispersed, flute music played as if from a sylvan soundtrack. Voices accompanying it sang, Dear friends, queer friends, let me tell you how I'm feeling. You have given me such pleasure. I love you so. Thank you. Thank
0: you.
4: Are we going to introduce each person? Yes. Okay. Uh, before we go on, I. I want to just pay a quick personal tribute to Richard Neely because without Richard's wonderful help, this book would not have been possible. Just to manage 50 writers from every part of the world, he's been a wonderful person to work with along with our other associate editor, Bo Young, who's in New York today but sends his best wishes. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much. Now for our next reader is Alan Page, and he was awakened to the sacred history, power, and purpose of male, male love and brotherhood by his experiences and interactions at the 1979 gathering. <clears throat> Today he is an intuitive spiritual counselor, channeler, teacher, and gay elder residing in Los Angeles. He writes to explore the meaning of his experiences and to share them with others. His essay, Army of Lovers, complements the multiple media show he co-created with Michael David from their combined color slides of the 1979 event. His article was previously published in 1979 in RFD and in 2009. And, uh, well, please welcome Mr. Alan Page.
0: Save your group. Thank you Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Good afternoon. <clears throat> Naked. A group of us walks the cracked earth into the desert. Here we cover our bodies with burnt, orange mud, forming a circle, arms locked around each other, chanting, wearing our long-winged feathers as we fly. Wearing our long-winged feathers as we fly, we circle around, we circle around the boundaries of the earth. On the ground, in the center of a circle, one of us is stretched on his back. Mud is layered onto him. Twigs, sprouts, flowers are planted onto him. The chance rhythm accelerates sweeping us along with its rhythm. We are soon screaming and shouting invocations spontaneously. Mud-covered sprites dancing to the voice of a solo pipe by some holy madness bringing earth to flower. Spontaneously, our wailing subsides. The living man is lifted above our heads presented to the sky. Then lowered to a standing position, eyes closed, he becomes silent, the stable center around which we enclose and hold each other. In a long line, holding hands, we weave back towards the ashram, a heady desert snake, brother to brother, empowered, transformed. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in our love. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in our love. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in our love." Thank you.
4: Thank you, Alan, that was beautiful. Now, our next reader will be, uh, we're just going in the order in which we appear in the book, is David S. Cohen, and most of us have fairy names, so his fairy name is Sharon and he acts and he writes and he teaches English in San Diego and his essay, Remembering, first appeared in RFD magazine not long after that first gathering and was reprinted in the White Crane Journal on a later anniversary date. His writing seeks to find the crossroads of the mythic and the personal and for those of you who aren't aware of his other work, uh, every year he celebrates Walt Whitman in this totally fabulous, unique uh, reading that he generally does in the San Diego area. If you're down there and you have an opportunity to see David as Walt Whitman, do not miss it. David, where are you,
6: darling? Thank you, dear. Uh, By the way, David's very name is Chiron. Oh, Chiron. It's just, no, there's a, there are two different spellings, and mine is the more pretentious one, so... <laughs> <laughs> People always mispronounce it. And may I just say that as it happens, this year I'm planning in on the Spring Equinox to find a theater in L.A. because Elizabeth Taylor is so much in my heart, and uh, so I want to do my yearly uh, dedication of Walt Whitman's When Lilacs Last in the Dooryard Bloomed to Rock Hudson and all of the men whom she loved and nursed as a symbolic way of thanking her for what she contributed to us, and so it'll also be in a certain way for her. So anyway, I think I'm going to do that in Los Angeles this year, so, all right. And Stuart, darling, even though I'm aware of the time mark, I really am, and I will probably have to cut lots that I already thought I had already cut. But anyway, Stuart, I just want to say to you, if I may, that hearing Richard read your words reminded me all over again how absolutely lucky we are to have someone with your perceptiveness who also has your ability to write. And I so appreciate you. So, my article, A Remembering, um, it, as Mark said, was reprinted in 1995, and the little introduction to that really resonates being in this book in here, so I want to start with just a little bit of that before I begin the article itself. The following article, written in November of 1979, barely three months after the first ferry gathering in Tucson seemed important for me to recover and share as the result of a recent reunion of some of the men who had been at that gathering. We came together in Los Angeles to view together the wonderful slide and musical meditation on the event prepared by Alan Page and Michael David. uh, As part of an effort to preserve that presentation, I offer this written remembering because I sense it is time for other reminiscences as well, so that newer fairies can see our shared history as part of a continuum of experience, and because, since the plague has begun its work of devastating our tribe, the impulse to reminisce and to tell the stories of our youth is strangely accelerated. We, in our mid-forties, are prematurely elders, even as some relative neophytes must become archivists while the whistling shimmer of the scythe still sounds just outside the window. I've been tempted to rewrite some of what follows from the perspective of the past 15 years, but let these things pass or wait for another day. May this fragment of memoir draw forth others. So having it in the midst of others is very powerful for me. A remembering. It was I who bore the thyrsus through the exile and to the place of homecoming. What I wish to relay here is what that detail of Sunday night's ritual at that very first radical fairy gathering meant to me. I want to explain what it conjured then and what it conjures now, and to affirm how because of that bearing I am changed. If at times I seem to speak from out of the fabric of dream or memory or moonlight, so it is. I write not only for you, but as an act of recovery. I'm trying to hew the scattered limbs, to renew and reanimate what time and distance and the condition of another life have again torn apart. I am trying, like the gay and goddess-blessed culture we came together in the desert to celebrate and to invoke, to piece myself back together what follows i will i will just summarize quickly for time's sake i had uh, made First all, not even knowing what it was, a thyrsus, uh, the thing that the mynads carried from Dionysus' ritual, from a stick that I found one day and a pine cone I found another day, and sort of created them when I saw that in a book of Greek uh, 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 myths. So that, that's time saved. It is as if an initiation had been prepared. All this that I have written, what I just summarized, of course, at the conference was just background. Perhaps Perhaps one meaning of which for me is exactly the way in which it brought that background into focus, helped me to discover during those four days how much of my own background I tend to discredit, to repress, to ignore. I am learning through it how I have participated in my own dismemberment. What I remember now is what it was like to sit in the fairy circle that first morning with these 200 other gay men and to realize that each of us had grown up believing that he was the only one of his kind. I felt from the depths of that early isolation how much I longed for a community of other men who understood. I will plant companionship thick as trees along the rivers of America and along the shores of the Great Lakes and all over the prairies. I will make inseparable cities with their arms about each other's necks by the love of comrades, by the manly love of comrades, Walt Whitman. We were a tribe, reconvening. For centuries we'd been parted. Our ways had been lost in the ways of the foreign patriarchal culture which had overtaken us. But now the members were regathering. Such was the myth. I became part of the group which formed with the intention of evolving a ritual for Sunday night. My thyrsys, far from being a point of alienation, had become a kind of identifying mark, a point of connection with which I could teach or play or bless. Away from here, it was a symbol of shadow, of what I held darkly inside. Here it had become persona, how I greeted the world and made myself part of it. I hid behind it too, of course, as all of us, accustomed to hiding, found our protections. We were not the ideal community out there in the desert, though in those early and euphoric days it was easy to allow our wish for that, to imagine that we were. But the common longing that united us spoke through the anger of the dissenters, as well as it also spoke through our defenses. On the outskirts of the monastery, we found a large clearing where candles could be set out in the middle to create a central altar, as well as around the circumference to define the congregation. Adjacent to an area just behind it was a wash where once a stream seemed to have flowed. We could march the whole gathering out the front gate and into the desert, then up the stream bed a mile or so before cutting across to that clearing, which would feel sufficiently removed from the safe encampment of the ashram to truly let the sacred in. My task was to meet the fairies at the front gate and lead them with my staff in hand through the desert, to the appointed site. I was delighted of course to be able finally to act the shaman I'd always dreamt of being and stirred as well, sensing how real was the possibility of becoming the shaman I'd always acted. I prepared for the night and headed back to the clearing for my things where I'd set them. By my thyrsus, unannounced, a friend, currently standing wearing the green pants over there about to read next, had placed a mask he had fashioned of a satyr's face that I knew I was to wear that night. I was quiet. I donned my gown. I put on the mask. I picked up my staff. It was later than I knew. No sooner was I dressed than the whole procession was there before me, faces gaily painted, singing, dancing like the Israelites before the golden calf. I had to silence them and began to dance in a circle before them, first slowly, then faster and faster, then held up my thyrsus to bar their way until all noises had stopped. Finally, no one spoke or sang. There was the sound of wind on the desert. At that moment, I felt my familiar self leave me. It was as if David had been put on hold for a while while someone else had charge of his form, of my instrument. My role had taken me seriously, and I knew enough to step aside to let the deeper center act. I waited another moment, then held up my staff and pointed the way. As all were passing, I stood and watched them, became a kind of concrete evocation of the spirit we'd come there to embody. Channels usually shut tight had opened, and I began to imagine all the faggots who had ever lived walking in that line and saw my role as that of greeter and guide, the doorkeeper who beckons and admits. I silently invoked all the gay men everywhere who still live in fear or in terror of their own true natures or in fear of the terror of their neighbors who would harm them if they should sense that truth. I invited all the powers of the sky and of the earth as well, and the fairy saints I worshipped, most especially Walt Whitman, who'd invoked all of us in the first place. Come, I will make the continent indissoluble with the love of comrades, with the manly love of comrades. Thank you.
4: Thank you, David. That was beautiful. Um, Our next, well, let me say, uh, generally when we have our gatherings and you walk in, sometimes you have to drive two or three days to one of our places. There's generally a group and the first words you hear is welcome home. So that's what I'm going to say to our next reader, Trevor Healy, welcome home. Trevor's been away from Los Angeles, down in Argentina, for the last six months. Um, And uh, he's a wonderful writer and poet, and we're very happy to have his contribution in this book. He's writing about one of our sanctuaries up in Wolf Creek, Oregon. Um, But let's see, Trevor Healy is the author of the Pharaoh Grumbly and Violet Aquil award-winning novel. Through it came Bright Colors, as well as a collection of poems, one of my favorites, Sweet Son of Pan, and it's being, uh, has just been reissued. And a short story collection, Perfect Scar, and other stories. So, I guess Trevor is back in Los Angeles for a while, and I hope he stays here. Please welcome Trevor Healy.
7: Thank you. Uh, thank you for explaining uh, this poem. This was um, my first fairy gathering. So it was 1990, I believe. And, you know, I had I had already come out and done all that. And I was sort of in that period of, okay, so what's next? And, you know, a lot of people would describe uh, a fairy gathering as a second coming out. And it was very, very much that for me. Um, let me find myself here, okay. And I'm glad Walt Whitman has been mentioned so much because he's a part of this as well. (coughs) And also, Mark, your book. I had read Gay Spirit, Mark Thompson's book, before I ever met him. And that book actually helped get me to go to this gathering. It's called Fairy Gathering. Wolf Creek is one big 80-acre faggot I've got a crush on. (laughs) These 10 days have been like one long, slow, delicious fuck. Looking into that lovely fairy face, I can feel the smooth friction of the muddy land entering me. I see the shadows of his fairy wings flitting across the moonlight. My body has become a pattern of magic tokens, offerings to this great faggot spirit. My asshole opens like a rising sun to receive his hot Oregon day. Each morning I open my lips to kiss his fairy sky mouth and out rolls a purple moon disc from his smile. Oh, my Whitman cock sings like a cricket in his sweat-drenched night and paints a Jackson Pollock out of blackberries and limestone. All the day long I lick his dry grass chest and hold his tree branch limbs. I watch him piss the clear coolness of the spring. I run through his red earth like tears and blood and cum and mud and honey. I like the bees that swarm around him. They're the fairies coming for to carry me home. My chest is an altar I've erected to my wolf boy and my heart dances under his moon gaze. My arms move like my tongue through his breath. I whistle the pipes of pan, rolling like an echo through the woods. I contort my body into a kiss inside his meadow mouth. All these forested hills are his goatee. I squirm around in his warm muddiness. I sing to him with my blood. My orifices echo with his laughter. They are the pores of his skin. I bathe in his eyes like cool water holes in the hundred degree heat. I can barely contain the love of this iron cock ring of trusting faggots, fairy circle molten. Wolf boy heart, an opening timeless meadow, 80 acres of sanctuary for fae ones. Our collective body, where we can sit and cry and fuck and share and gather his magic seeds. There are too many to count. Falling from my open cupped hands, I feel like a big messy fruit, and I am. (laughs) (coughs) Spilling my seeds and sweetness, Wolf Creek is forever a great ripe mango of joy in my heart. Thank you.
4: Trevor Healy, you really are one of my favorite Poets. (laughs) Now, let's see, we have a couple more readers to go. Um, Oh, this next reader, what a dear man, what a dear friend, what a sweetheart. I've known him for 32 years and he never fails to delight and amaze me. Michael David is a belly dancer and a professional architect. He's practiced both for many years. A radical fairy since that first gathering, he's grown from that root stock. He is a founding member of the Gay Elder Council for the Los Angeles Gay Community. This California native often roams the hills above Santa Barbara, where he lives, as well as teaches raw food diet techniques and how to reach states of ecstasy, which I think he's going to talk about. He looks forward to another 30 years living in Ferry community. Please join me in welcoming the one and only, Michael David.
2: Thanks, Mark. Um, That first gathering, it's 30 years past, and um, I don't know. I I think we all, all of us that were there, knew that there was something important happening and certainly experienced that in our lives. Um, Twenty years after that first uh, gathering, um, I felt uh, a call to uh, go up to Wolf Creek um, and attend Harry Hayes' Daisy Chain Sex Magic Workshop. And uh, that's what my article is about. The Heart Circle has been at the center of what the Radical Fairies do from the very beginning. The Sex Magic Workshop uses the Heart Circle as a key process for the work that goes on during the week. I have memories of Heart Circles in past fairy gatherings where my heart was coaxed open by a compelling story. Memories of being blessed to witness the spiraling of the circle as sharings built on the ones that went before spiraling open the collective heart of the group. This was all in play in the heart circles during the workshop. But at the sex magic heart circles another thing comes up. I wrote to one of my comrades about this. After that heart circle under the maple tree early in the week I came over to you and said, everyone's sharing has deeply touched my heart, but yours gave me a (laughs) hard-on. I didn't mean it to be an enticement in any way, and I sensed that you might have been taken aback or perplexed by my comment, which probably seemed like it came out of left field. So let me tell you what was coming up for me. As we went around the circle that day, my heart was opening up big time. During your turn with the talisman, you were sharing some of the incredible situations you have encountered during your life and I was witnessing your strength and your ability to learn, move on, grow wiser, more powerful, to become even more the unbelievably wonderful person that you are. My heart was embracing you fully. I was taking, you, I was taking in your aura, your goatee, your forehead, your arms, your torso, your legs, your shoes, and skirt. It was a full embrace. In my heart, I heard the words, I could really love this man. Just then, I felt an energetic connection with my groin and that warm, tingly rise of attraction in my cock. This surprised me and brought me pleasure, and it enabled me to see you as a fully sexual being as I embraced you with my heart and cock connected. Why is it so hard for so many of us to stay in heart space when sexuality raises its head? Why not embrace the sacred connection to a life force that having an erection provides? If only we all could be more present with these moments, me included. I wish I had lifted my skirt so you could have seen my erection across the circle. It would have been as natural for me to be flashing you with my heart on as to be hissing in support of your words. I felt like we should lift the veils off the magic of our sexual pulsations. Maybe this could become a new fairy tradition from the daisy chain. In addition to hissing or applause one could flash a a heart on if someone's sharing has really made the point. Then the speaker could graciously acknowledge the display and perhaps look around to see an entire circle with that reaction. Ah, oh, well, work for future sex magic workshops. And I wanted a little later on, towards the end of my article, I, a couple of paragraphs I wanted to share. I remember saying flippantly in 1999 that I was on a spiritual path whose ultimate goal was to live life fully engaged erotically with a heart on 24 hours a day. Obviously this would be problematic in many social situations. <laughs> <laughs> so so the revised concept is to follow a spiritual path whose ultimate goal is to live life fully orgasmically engaged with heart on every waking hour of the day and I'm taking this approach more seriously. Many fairies have been on this path of heart-based sexuality, which is an important part of subject-subject consciousness. First, we have to work on ourselves to be that subject with heart and cock connected within. Let each of us enter the temple of our own body do the work of self-love and self-pleasuring so that we can find the ways these personal sex practices access spirituality and transform consciousness by harnessing the spark of life that drives the universe this essential life force that is the sexuality within us and being able to move it up and down our spine from genitals to the inner heart and then move it at will to circulate through another person's body there we can find subject I know that subject subject consciousness can be our vehicle on this path of spirit and flesh connection and the merging of dick to heart energy. This is the realm of fairy procreation and fairy midwifery as we spiritually inseminate each other and then birth each other anew as ecstatic fairy beings.
4: So I think what all of the readers have been getting at, that the radical affair experience as it was then and it continues to be lived around the world today, represents a, a revolution of consciousness. It just wasn't about g- g- having a sexy romp out in the desert, it was about trying to find new ways to view ourselves as loving gay men and being loving with others. And I need to add now that there are women radical fairies walking the planet. So we have, and there are ra- radical fairy children, believe it or not. So, so, this, so this social experiment keeps on going on. Uh, the latest uh, fairy sanctuary just opened in eastern France. There's a fairy sanctuary in Australia. There have been fairy gatherings on the beaches of Thailand. There's a fairy gathering, there's fairy sanctuaries in upstate New York. There's a fairy gathering happening as we speak in Brighton Bush, Oregon. We fairies really are dancing around the world, so welcome. (laughs) A couple of other uh, unique factors about this book. Uh, In Michael's piece, he mentioned subject-subject consciousness. He mentioned hissing. These are all fairy terms, and so what we did in the back of the book is we made a glossary, (laughs) which to me is one of the most, like, interesting and valuable parts of this book. There's so much history in the fairy glossary, so we, ha- we almost, we have our own language. And then there's a complete uh, resource list of every fairy, sanctuary, publication, how you can find us and how you can reach us. So on that note, if you want to know a little bit more of how we're trying to revive the radical fairy seen here in Los Angeles. Richard Neely has a little notepad and you can ask uh, to be included uh, on our ferry listserv. So there's Richard and after the gathering, um, if if you want to be included, please be included. Now to introduce the final reader, I've never done this in public before, God help me, <laughs> and that's to reveal my fairy name. We all have fairy names, I've never told anybody what, what mine is except for Malcolm, and there's a bit of a pun in it, and those of you who know me will, will get it, but anyway, my radical fairy name is Miss Demeanor. <laughs> That's a pretty, that's a pretty good one, huh? (laughs) So, uh, on that note, I would like to introduce a uh, relatively new radical fairy, as far as I know. Ian McKeon is a gay-centered performance art and curator of queer theater events in Los Angeles. He performs both nationally and locally, creating solo and group pieces for theater clubs, performances, performance spaces, art galleries, rooftops, and classrooms, just as he's going to do out at Highways this August 19th and 20th with his new show called Gist, Gay Hist Orgy Part 2, The Search for Gay Love. So come and see Ian Ian and he'll give give you one of these nice postcards and maybe you can go and see his fabulous show. I've seen him perform and it's well what can I say? You're kind of one of a kind. <laughs> but worth it. So without any further ado, please welcome Mr Ian McKinnon.
1: Hi guys. This is cool. So um this, uh, this, I did this at the Antebellum Gallery. There was a Radical Fairy 30th anniversary art show that happened at the Antebellum. You were there, I believe. Um, and uh, so I, I did this, this uh, sort of impromptu-ish ritual, and uh, I'll read you a little section of it. Fairy Fallow Ceremony by Ian McKinnon. That's me. <laughs> to be performed live with music, candles, confetti, dildos, and naked gay male fairy dancers. And we had some, right? This ritual salute asks the question, what work of gayness makes me want to fucking come? Is it? a love poem by Percy Shelley, or Rumi, or Rimbaud? Is it the smooth white curve of a statue by Michelangelo? Is it a painting of Zeus and Ganymede? Or is it a cock sliding up a delicious asshole? Is it the tireless work of countless gay leaders from our past who rose out of the homophobic shit mire of toxic hatred to erect the pillars and the framework upon which we all stand today? Is it Baldwin's Giovanni's Room or Ginsberg's Howl? Is it the trail of gay semen consciousness that burns a flaming rope of cum from this moment through Harry Hay to Edward Carpenter to Carl Heinrich Ulrichs to Plato to the dawn of humankind? Is it the symposium where the riddle of man manly love or the gilded sequined eyelashes of Jack Smith or the angels of light or the coquettes? Is it Whitman's Calamus poems or water splashing over a naked man's buttocks. Mm. Is it divine? Is it Mitch Walker's archetype of the double? Is it the thought of how many millions of men are making love to each other right this very second? Is it cum dripping from cocks standing in a circle out under the sun? Is it tears like cum running down the face of a broken-hearted gay boy just yearning to be loved? Ah! Is it pubic hair? Is it the promise of self-love through radical fairy brotherhood? Or is it the shadow that haunts, sabotages, freezes, and teaches? Is it the enraged gay child that lives inside, demanding the love he never got? Or is it the strong, hairy arms of a masculine, dominant, sweaty, musky, throbbing daddy that knows exactly how to treat a man's body right? Is it the scream of abandoned gay infants in the night? Is it the rainbow flag unfurled like fire? Or the subtle pink pucker of a nubile quivering boyhole yearning for penetration? Is it my own cock? Or all of your cocks? Or the God-cock of the universe? Is it the two rose-lipped fairy boys in the bloom of youth dancing naked in a field while mountains swell like ocean waves, cause you're on acid, or is it a lover leading me through love to know myself deeper? Is it my growing relationship to my own gay soul? Is it my fairy soul buddy? All. Yes. All. Yes, yes, yes! <laughs> There's more, it. you've got to buy the book to get more. <laughs>
4: Well, that's gonna be one hell of a show. I can just see it now. (laughs) Would all the readers come forward, please? Would all the readers come forward and take a bow? Come on, guys. Stuart,
0: Richard,
5: Alan.
4: Well, and and the the old editor and me said we were going to do it by six, and it's right six o'clock. Oh. <laughs> so so thank you so thank you to all of the, to these wonderful contributors, the contributors in San Francisco, in New York, in Atlanta, uh, in France, in England, everywhere who has made. The Fire and Moonlight, and thank you for coming and being with us this afternoon.:
6: You have been
5: listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks. Com. Today's music was provided by
2: Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.